Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for episode 178. Yes, 178. We cover Nine Inch Nails, the downward spiral going back to March of 1994, almost 30 years ago. Uh, But before we get there and we get to our request for the week, Chris, my friend, how are you doing? I am good. I am very good. Uh, Not much to report, really. Uh, Just uh, hanging in there. So, yeah, looking forward to having this this chat. Um, It's going to be interesting. This was definitely an interesting uh, experience listening to this album. I I listened to it six times, and I still am not 100% sure I know what the hell is going on. So I think that is commendable i have strong thoughts i will save them i will save them but i i i want to start by thanking you 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 had said or you may have asked or you may have said i i forget how you phrased it um but there was an album that i completely skipped earlier this year and you had said to me have you checked out the new iron savior or, or something to that effect and my answer was no unequivocally no I'm, I'm just not really into them for some reason i've never fully embraced them or their sound. I just thought that they were slightly derivative and just never my thing. Um, But upon your suggestion, I took a listen to their new album called Firestar. And I have to be honest with you, it was much better than I expected. Now, I want to be clear. I went in with very low expectations because I'm not a fan of the band, but I did enjoy the album. I actually listened to it straight through, no stops, no breaks, and I, and I didn't think that there was like a bad song on the album. I, I don't know that it's going to be in my top 25 or even my top 50, but it was just a really enjoyable listen and something that I just slept on for months at this point. Yeah, I, I just, I, I, I don't think I would have even thought to listen to it, but I'd seen a few people say they enjoyed it. So I was curious and it's kind of like, um, I feel like they're doing a better job at doing what Primal Fear does than Primal Fear. Because uh, I listened to their new album and I thought Iron Saviors was better, to be honest. Yeah, it's it's in the same vein, but it was also it sounded fresh. It sounded new, and for a band that's been around for over twenty years at this point, I was surprised. And um, I don't know that it's going to make me dive deep into the back catalog or anything like that. But by the same token, definitely enjoyed the listen. So thank you for that suggestion. Um, and then going in a little bit of a different vein. The new album by the band Sky Empire, um, Knops had actually suggested that I listen to this and it had been on my radar for a bit anyway. Um, this is an album with Jeff Scott Soto doing lead vocals, I think on five of the seven tracks. There's only seven tracks on the album, but three of them clock in at 10 minutes and some of them well over 10 minutes. Uh, it's a meaty album. It's called The Shifting Tectonic Plates of Power Part 1. Uh, sure, surely part two is, is not far behind, but it just really good dream theater worship, very proggy, um, uh, as you can expect. It kind of reminded me of modern dream theater. It's not images and words, but if it would be like something you'd hear on a dream theater album from 2015 or something like that. And if you like that sound, you could do a lot worse than hearing this with, with Soto singing. Yeah, he uh, he sent me one of the tracks and he said, this is by far the my favorite uh song i've heard soto sing and it was the instrumental song on the album so not <laughs> ever the ever the jokester uh, uh yeah, yeah. It, was, it was quite good i i did enjoy it uh quite a bit um that you know jokes aside it yeah was, no uh, the whole album is good um and i know that he's not a fan of, of, of soto's vocals but i gotta be honest i i 
do like his vocals, and I thought that he did a really nice job on this disc. There were certain certain songs that he just kind of belted out of the park. I was very impressed. Yeah, I guess his voice isn't sultry enough for Knops, but uh, yeah, you know that's okay. That's we, okay. We, we, we've all got our, our proclivities, but um, anyway. I don't think Ingve is a big fan of Chef Scott Soto either. So, <laughs> and at this point, it doesn't sound like Portnoy is either. But we'll cross that bridge another day. Uh, you know, some uh, some 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 disdain in the Sons of Apollo camp. Apparently. I, I I had heard that that um, Soto had made that comment in jest, and it wasn't meant to be taken. Oh, okay. Like he was just he was joking. Like he had said that he was pissed that Portnoy didn't say anything to him, and um, I I think he because it was like a written interview. I think people took it as clickbait, and uh, well, I certainly did and ran with it, but yeah. I don't think that he was legitimately angry. I'm sure he understood, but. Uh, you know how it is on the on the old interwebs. Yeah, tough to uh, tough to kind of parse out, uh, you know, facts from fiction sometimes. Uh, but I'm I'm curious, anything from your end that you listen to that kind of caught your ear? This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the Plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Yeah, I wanted to to throw out a uh, mention of... um our uh our friend uh wow what is her friend's name um <laughs> i i am uh, i was looking at something else and i had a complete uh a complete brain fart um our friend johannes um who we spoke to about his um his band skyblazer um he's in another band called palantir and they um another power metal band although it's not quite as much uh, Power Quest slash Dragon Force um, tribute, so to speak. Th- this is a little bit more, I think, along uh, a neoclassical kind of edge. But um, anyway, they uh, they came out with a new EP. Uh, you can grab it. It's on um, it's on uh, iTunes, and uh, I'm pretty sure it's on Spotify. I bought it on Bandcamp. Uh, it's called Nightmare Opus. There is, um, as far as I can tell, these are all new tracks plus a acoustic version of a song from one of their earlier albums. But there's a pretty cool ten and a half minute track, the title track, Nightmare Opus, that is just this really um, classic, like neoclassical style uh, epic kind of tune. Um, so I would recommend this. It's really cool. Um, I. Wouldn't have even known about it, but I noticed uh, Johannes had posted it on Facebook, so I figured I would give it a whirl, and sure enough, it was quite good. So uh, I would recommend, uh, if you Power Metal fans out there, uh, go check it out. Nice. I I haven't had the pleasure of listening yet, but um, on your rec, I I definitely, it's something I'm going to check out. I just haven't had the time yet. Yeah, I think you'll you'll enjoy it. It's, uh, you know, just uh, really 
sturdy <laughs> Swedish sturdy. power metal. Sturdy. I like that. That that who, who doesn't like sturdy? Yep. Well, I mean, these you know, we talk about how power metal like seems to be on in kind of a, I don't know if you call it a decline or whatever, but like you know, it's. I thought this was a nice little uh, addition to the um, the Palantir, uh, you know, collection of songs. They've been uh, their first album came out in 2017, and they they've released uh, two full length albums, and then now this EP. So. Uh, it was cool to hear some some new stuff from them, and I just I'm a fan of Johannes's uh, keyboards and and just kind of his songwriting. I don't know how much songwriting he does in this band because he was he kind of joined a bit later on in the band's history. Um, I think the band like actually started in 2012, and he joined the band about six years later. Um, and if I hadn't mentioned it before. Um, Maybe I have, I don't remember, but uh, he uh, he recently also announced that um, Skyblazer is going to become a actual uh, live band. Um, he had kind of hinted at, at it when we did the interview with him, but it uh, sounds like it's come to fruition. Um, so they'll actually, you know, play live shows and hopefully do some tours. So I thought that was pretty cool news. So, uh, yeah, congrats to Johannes and, and, uh, and company. I, I believe his guitar player happens to also be in palantir uh as as it were so um very much cool. looking forward to hearing them live i feel like if they can pull off that sound it's going to be very very entertaining so good stuff I'm, I'm i'm glad to hear it uh you know and i think i don't know that we talked about it on the podcast but i know that i definitely heard that they were doing live stuff so good for them it's, i hope they uh nothing but success on the touring circuit yeah absolutely anything uh anything else catch your ear um, I don't think anything that I hadn't, uh, mentioned last week. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I, I know, um, uh, Green Day actually came out with a new single today called Look Ma No Brains, but I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. The first single, The American Dream is Killing Me, uh, I think it, that one came out last week, I think, or two weeks ago. And, uh, I had mentioned to you, it sounds like they're kind of heading back into their, mid 2000s or you know mid you know uh you know 20 you know the american idiot slash 21st century breakdown that kind of uh sound after their last few albums have been really more on the pop side than on the punk side which um i personally was not the biggest fan of so this is kind of heading back in a direction that i would prefer uh so i'll have to give that song a listen the, the album is called saviors and it's coming out early next year um and the band also announced that they'll be going on tour at least in the u.s with uh smashing pumpkins and rancid um and then um i do a separate tour of the uk and europe uh so some celebrating uh 30 years of since dookie was released and 20 years since american idiot was released so i cannot believe it's been where 20 years since american time go i know it's wild um, so yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I was going to announce the tour news at the end, but I'm glad you brought it up. It's a nice segue. Um, you know, it, it's funny because I, I think of Green Day and I think of Dookie. And meanwhile, the album that we're about to cover came out, like, I think days, if not weeks apart from Dookie, possibly, or it's, they're very close in time. Um, and, and that's by request from our very good friend, Nick, one of our Patreons. Thank you uh, to all of our Patreon members for their support. 
Um, for those that don't know, you can request albums that we will cover each and every month here on the show. Obviously, there's other special perks as well, bonus episodes uh, and the like. So do check us out uh, on Patreon if you'd like to help support the show. It definitely helps um, us defray some of the costs for production and whatnot. So thank you. Uh, but more importantly, just uh, supports the show. So thank you for that. Um, but yeah, this this, this album, whew, um, let me start by saying the Downward Spiral comes out March 8th of 1994. I have only heard radio songs by this band, but I want to be clear. Every time I hear this band, I've always turned off the radio. I am not, I've never been a fan of this band. So I want to, I want to preface it by saying um, something about their sound, which I don't, can't really put my finger on why, because it has elements of things that I like, but for whatever reason, this band has never grabbed me. So I was really excited to kind of, in, in many ways, force myself to listen to this otherwise a very meaty album. Um, it clocks in, I think, at about 65 minutes or so. Um, just this meaty album from, from you know, their heyday back in the mid-90s when at the time, you know, I was listening to a lot of this radio rock, your Green Days, your Pearl Gems, you know, even Nirvana, uh, you know, let alone uh, this was right before I was getting into Metallica and Megadeth and stuff like that. So um, kind of should have hit the sweet spot for me especially because I was a big Tool fan, you know, the following year. But for whatever reason, never grabbed me. And even going into the later 90s, never was a fan of this band. So this was a really interesting exercise for me. Uh, I guess I'll throw it over to you. Putting the album aside for a second, how much familiarity did you have with Nine Inch Nails um, other than the radio stuff? And, and what did you like about what you knew from the band? Um, You know, like a smattering of songs here and there, particularly from this album. Uh, Closer was a song that was played on Z100 a lot uh, during this time. Um, and it was always kind of an outlier to me because, you know, it's such a, a dark and, and very like um, industrial sounding song when you compare it to the, the other, you know, more uh, standard alt rock type stuff of the day that was on those, um, radio stations, you know, like the aforementioned Green Day and, uh, you know, Pearl Jam and Offspring, two bands that we've covered on the show, um, you know, Stone Temple Pilots, Red Hot Chili Peppers, that kind of thing. So it was kind of odd. Um, so I always, like I mentioned last week, I always kind of lump them into that category. But, uh, you know, through Nops, I had heard some other songs, uh, you know, when I was in college, like uh, The Perfect Drug, which I think was, um, I forgot what movie soundtrack that was, that song was from um and then you know oddly enough the song hurt which is the last song on this album um i had heard the johnny cash cover of it before the i ever heard the nine inch nails cover of it it was it was actually used as a um a tribute song to uh, after eddie guerrero passed away on uh, raw and smackdown they used the the um johnny cash version uh, as kind of like the tribute song to the tribute video. So I was, I, I kind of assumed that Nine Inch Nails would cover Johnny Cash just based on the age difference between the artists. And I thought it was really interesting that uh, this like old school country artist like Johnny Cash would cover a Nine Inch Nails song. And so that was a song I was um, definitely familiar with as well. Um, I think there were some songs from like their the 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 nine the uh, the eighties some of their stuff from the late 
eighties that they did from um pretty hate machine, like head, like a hole. Um, so like there, there was just like, um, random songs here and there that I'd heard over time, but I'd never, uh, lost highway, by the way, was the name of the movie that the perfect drug was the soundtrack for this. That would come out a couple of years after this album. Um, so yeah, uh, this is the first time I really sat down and listened to a, an entire nine inch nails album start to finish. So I'm not really sure where this album kind of fits in, in the whole, you know, history of their albums is, is this considered more industrial or less industrial or more experimental or so I, I don't really know. I'm just going to be basing this off of the album itself. Um, but it, it was interesting. It, it, I had a hard time, um, getting like a flow from it because I just feel like there's so many parts that are so jarring. Um, so I'm going to do my best here. Um, I feel like we both were struggled a little bit with this one. So it's, it's funny. I, I, this was their second album. They had released an EP prior to this, uh, called broken in 92 and their debut came out in 89, pretty hate machine. And what was interesting to me is, just being the, you know, sometimes you just pick up little bits of information. I always considered this like Trent Reznor's band. But what I never realized was that he's basically the only musician on the album who's like, you know, he does all the vocals. He plays all the instruments. He even plays the drums on one or two tracks. He arranges it. He produces it. It's a side project. I mean, it's a solo project you know, in many ways. And he has a bunch of guests. Some guys play drums. Adrian Ballou, for example, plays um, some of the guitar mods and guitar tunes on one or two tracks. And they've got some other people helping with the programming and the engineering. But for the most part, this is just the Trent Reznor show. I'm shocked that this was able to be a live thing because I can't imagine, I mean, he had to have musicians play with him in a live setting, obviously. But what's, I think, most interesting is while I recognize the influence that an album like this would have on a number of different genres going forward. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. This is really just kind of industrial ambient noise for over an hour, for the most part. It, it, none of these songs really follow the typical verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, instrumental section, verse, chorus type of thing. It's not what this is. Um, and, and I guess that was a bit jarring. And also... In retrospect, I'm shocked that Z100 would play songs like this on the radio because it didn't fit that formula, you know, that that they've basically been sticking to for 30 years. Even Pearl Jam with a, with a song like Even Flow, which was a favorite of, of Z100s as well, or Better Man, very formulaic, great songs, very formulaic. This does not fit that formula at all, and was it was kind of shocking to me in retrospect. Yeah, well, I mean, Z100 was a top 40 and still is a top 40 radio station. So if Closer was a top 40 song, then that song was going to get played. So that would be my uh, 
my best reasoning or my best guess as to why that was um, on there. It was, it was just, it was just such a, like, I don't know. It's one of the darkest so- songs I can remember hearing on the radio uh, around that time, especially cause like, I don't know. A lot of that stuff was very like uplifting, and then and then like Z100 would pepper in like songs by Real McCoy sometimes. Like you get these Euro dance songs, uh, but again, it's I guess bass followed by Nine Inch Nails. I mean, it's yeah, amazing. yeah. I guess if it was top forty, though, I mean that's what they played. And because as soon as alt rocks stopped being, you know, a darling of the top forties, Z100 stopped playing it, and I stopped listening. And that's kind of why you know why when I started listening to metal is because I was just looking for something to gra- to grasp onto musically. Um, that was like MTV and Z100 was kind of like my pipeline, and my pipeline dried up, <laughs> so I needed to find somewhere else to go. And so now it's like we all come full circle, and now we're back uh, talking about you know this is just a band I never really paid much mind to because I don't remember. I don't remember hearing anything else. Like the radio didn't. I don't recall hearing any other songs from this album and i don't remember seeing any videos on mtv from other songs from this album but but yet yet the closer video is like ingrained in my head it was such a visually jarring just as much as it's it's audibly jarring it's a visually jarring music video with um just i remember that rather than like censoring it they would just have these cards that would come up and just say scene deleted um I think I think it was just because there was like some nudity in it or whatever, but it was a really like avant garde, like ahead of its time kind of music video that really did not. I mean, it fit the MTV time because music videos were like this art form, and so like anything that really I think felt different or off the beaten path was more interesting. Um, but for me, it was like I just remember like you really took notice, like because it was just so like different than what you were used to but i don't really remember uh any other songs from this album like being like uh, on the radio or um or just being or me just being familiar with them it's odd but how could you be right because think about again these some of these songs are just odd and i guess we'll get into it momentarily um but it's it's it was an experience i'll say the to say the least and and you know i i I, I think when you listen to why he chose this album, it explains a little bit about what we went through when we listened to it. So if you'll indulge me, Nick writes, quote, this week's request was inspired by the episode uh, the guys did a while back on Pearl Jam's 10 album. I love that Chris and Justin are willing to push the envelope on where their conversations go from Pearl Jam to Green Day to the Monkees, and it occurred to me that Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails could provide an interesting topic for conversation. While I'm admittedly not a huge Nine Inch Nails fan, their influence on rock music in the 90s and early 2000s is widely regarded. If Pearl Jam and Green Day deserve a deep dive, I felt Nine Inch Nails does as well for their place in the evolution of rock, metal, and industrial music. I'm not sure there's a band like Beast in Black if it weren't for some of the groundbreaking sounds and melding of genres and influences coming from Trent Reznor's mind around the time of these early albums. Looking forward to the guys giving it a fair shot, as they always do, and hearing their thoughts both on the album itself and how they see it impacting rock and metal on the whole. The key is that last sentence, how it impacted rock and metal on the whole, because I have a deep appreciation for that. As far as the review itself... 
Uh, Nick, don't hold it against me because I, I don't have many kind words to say. It's not a complete dud, but this was a really hard listen. And the first time that I listened to it straight through, I said to myself, this is going to be the hardest album I've ever had to cover. More so because I have to listen to it another five times in order to understand it. I really didn't want to do that. I did and, not. And, like and that's the week after listening to Chameleon. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to mix things up next week to say the least, but we'll we'll get there at the end. What was your initial reaction on your first shot with this thing? Uh, similar to yours, I, I I was like, I was like, what the hell is is going on? Like, is it, it, half the time I was listening to it, I was like, I feel like I'm not really listening to music as much as I am listening to like industrial sound effects. Um, I, I listened to this album six times. Uh, I think I had mentioned earlier, um, and it I think it started to kind of come together for me. Finally, uh, towards the end, it's still like not really something that I would ever consider my like go to thing to listen to, but I could certainly appreciate like what they were doing here. Like, I don't know that any of it w I would call like unlistenable. It's, it's, it's definitely not going to be like the worst thing I've ever rated on this podcast thus far. Um, but I, I, it was lacking in, the melodicness that I really enjoy in, in a lot of music. And so it's, it, it kind of was a little bit lost on me, but um, I, I don't know. I, I kind of was thinking that like, I, it might, it, like my thoughts might come together better as we kind of march through it. Uh, no pun intended, but like um, it, I was finding it hard to just kind of um, verbalize like w what it was that I was listening to or whatever like it's it's just really um it's interesting um i don't know would you say like fear factory is probably the closest thing we've talked about to this like from an industrial standpoint definitely and i think that fear factory borrowed a lot from like the samples and the way that nine inch nails kind of um you know to the to their point it was very eclectic um but and even some of the riffs have a have a bit of a Fear Factory vibe to them. Um, but because of the fact that it's a bit of alt rock, a bit of grunge, a bit of metal, a ton of industrial, it's all over the place, and it's kind of hard to define because it's really unlike anything I've ever heard in many ways. Yeah, I mean that's really pretty much the same for me as well. Like uh, this was a really different experience. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I, we might as well just uh, kind of dive in and, and go through the tracks one by one and see what we can uh, dig from this. So, yeah, let's let's give it a shot. Um, this album starts with a song called Mr. Self-Destruct and, and clocks in about four and a half minutes. And immediately it has some, I, I'll, I'll say interesting percussion sounds at the beginning and the guitars kick in. And my immediate thought was Marilyn Manson. Like uh, for some reason, I just heard that the comparison to some of those like Marilyn Manson tunes, not that I was a fan of that stuff, but at the end of the day, even that stuff was on the radio, you know, around this time. So I was familiar with it. Um, but what was interesting is that even though it's four and a half minutes, it, the track itself feels kind of like this Gothic, um, I don't know, like in spots it's industrial. Then it's like there's this gothic interlude in the middle and it goes back to like full throttle, like 
ambient guitar noise, it really is kind of a, like a long introduction to more than anything else leading into Piggy. Um, I, I, it's hard to even evaluate this as a standalone track. It's kind of just like an extended intro for to my ears. Yeah, the, the heavier parts really feel like something that would be in like a horror movie, like in this really, it, it's just like so... Uh, just it just like kind of beats you like it beat like it beats you with with sound like it, it's it's in a, in kind of like a horror sort of way like i just i don't know i picture like like a, a scene in one of the saw movies or something where like there's a lot of like you know picture kevin dunn's producing it so like cameras are just all over the place and shaking and everything is chaotic and that's kind of how um this made me feel but the one of the things that's interesting about this song and some other songs in this album is that like, there's like these moments where it just like gets quiet. And, you know, I think we, this is something I think that we talk about a lot when we talk about more of the alt rock bands. Um, and I know at some point I'm sure we'll talk about Nirvana in long form. And, and, you know, I, I've mentioned that they took a lot of inspiration from the Pixies who, did a lot of that kind of like, you know, loud one minute, loud and chaotic one minute, quiet and, and soft the next and, and kind of bounces back and forth between those styles. And there's times where um, Nine Inch Nails does that as well. Uh, this song being one of them, but yeah, it does kind of feel like, I don't know. It, it's hard because to me, like being that there's not really much in the way of melody. It, it almost doesn't feel like a song to me. Um but I, I felt that way about a handful of the, the tracks from here. Um, the songs that sounded more like traditional, like melodic songs were the ones that I ended up enjoying more so than this kind of almost like just it's chaotic noise. Industrial, yeah. Yeah. Like this industrial, like chaos, uh, well, probably be the best way to describe it. To, to that end, I have to think that piggy was a song you liked because it's one of the more polished songs on the album. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, and, and especially because, like, after all that chaos, like, this song comes in and it's actually pretty chill. Like, it's almost, um, it, it almost has, like, that, it reminds me of that kind of piece where, like, the the lounge singer piece where he's, like, snapping his finger and, you know, like, almost like a, like a Sinatra-esque tempo but like you know, dark side Sinatra. <laughs> right, right. If 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 Sinatra was troubled and obviously um, a victim of what was going on inside of his own head, he would have been singing Piggy instead of you know New York, New York. I got you. This is this is this is good. Um, I'll say this: this was definitely probably in the top three or four songs for me on the album. Um, very, very bass-driven intro. I thought the production was fantastic, so credit to them for that. Very, very good production. The intro reminded me a little bit of Radiohead, which is a not, a, not a name I don't think we've talked about on the show. But by the same token, the keyboards in the background reminded me of like a modern Opeth sound where they're doing that 70s prog rock thing. Um, the song itself, very proggy in many ways. Um, the, the biggest issue I had was that there was kind of this slow build without the payoff. I was waiting for the big payoff at the end and it never really comes. It was kind of repetitive. Um, but when you listen to it with the headphones, I thought it was really, really well done and it kind of surrounded you and engulfed you in the sound. And, and there's a lot of ambient noise and drums here, especially in the last two minutes with some very good drum fills. Um, 
not my favorite track, but definitely in the top third of, for this album. Yeah, nice. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of was hoping that like it would um, pick up a little bit. It never um, does. But it I just feel never like gets there. Yeah, but I think that there's like plenty of other songs that do, so it's not really necessary. But I guess like the first few times, I was kind of after that first track, I was kind of expecting this to be similar, where it kind of bounces back and forth between like heaviness and softness, and this kind of stayed fairly soft all the way through. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right, and then. Um, you know, the, the band kind of goes again in this other direction with this band called, uh, this album, uh, album, yeah, song called Hearsay, which is interesting. It, it's got like these droning keyboards at the start and then the vocals kind of engulf you because it's angsty and, and whatnot and the riffs. Um, I, tell me you don't hear Rammstein with those riffs, that, that chunking chugga chug chug riff that they kind of have on this track. Um, and to Trent Reznor's credit, different vocal stylings. He does screams. He kind of sings melodic. There's a bit of grunge, almost like a nod to Nirvana. Um, interesting approach on this, but the song itself was a bit flat for me. And honestly, some of the lyrics I thought were cringy during the chorus with the whole God is dead thing. Like I, I just feel like it's um, a little overdone, but maybe you had separate thoughts, you know, and, and you like the track a little better than I did. Hey, I'm always down for when we want to quote the great Nietzsche. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, the, the beginning of this song, like the, the electronic kind of intro with that um, thumping bass drum, very, it reminded me a lot of like, a, like an 80s new wave kind of song. But then as Nine Inch Nails, you know, tends to do it, they take it into kind of a darker direction. Um, so like, yeah, some of that like falsetto vocals definitely gives me some Marilyn Manson vibes for sure um but yeah i think i'm with you like the the song never really picks up for me um it definitely has more like more you know riffs and like you use the word chunky which i think is is a good um a good adjective um in this case um it's kind of what i was expecting a lot of the songs on this album to sound like this was kind of like the um, the template of what I was expecting. Um, so yeah, it is what it is. I, I, I didn't really think anything too much of it. Um, but it, you know, it, it's, uh, I think if anything else, if nothing else, it, it's a, it's a nice, um, counterpoint to the, the previous track, which was a lot more mellow. This one's definitely has more, uh, more teeth to it, if you will. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's apt. Um, a little weird to me, that we go from Piggy and then two tracks later we go to March of the Pigs. I, I don't know why the, there's this Piggy theme to this thing, but there is. Um, and, and for Nick's money, it was his track of the week. He, he had this to say about it. He said, um, it's not necessarily the best song, but because it's so diverse and has so many elements that can be heard in modern prog or power metal, I think that's why he chose it. He said the opening riff could be a power metal song if re-recorded with less distortion and a different aesthetic. And the electronic sections sound like they could be part of a Voyager or Beast in ba Black track. And the off-the-wall piano interludes fit right in with a Jordan Rudis solo, for better or worse. So, you know, interesting that, that he chose March of the Pigs. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on, on this track, and I'll kind of share mine afterwards. Yeah, well, um, one of... Uh, I, I will say this, I, just to, to shed a little light on the whole pig thing. Um, the studio where they 
recorded this album was known as pig or late pig. Um, it, it was, uh, in reference to, um, murderer Susan Atkins writing pig in, in, um, what was her name? Uh, uh, Tate. She was, uh, the, uh, the actress that was, um, was, was murdered. I forgot what her first name was, but, um, Anyway, they, they wrote uh, Pig in, in Blood on the front door of the house, and that was the site of the recording sessions for most of the album. Um, I believe Marilyn Manson used the studio as well. Uh, so I'm, I'm wondering if there's um, any connection to that. Um, but yeah, that, that was the, the, address was, the address of the house is actually um, uh, Cielo Drive, which is the name of a, a pre made song, actually, which Go I'm figure. guessing was. Yeah, referencing that you know famous location of, of the uh, of the murder, um, Sharon Tate. That was her name. I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, that was um, kind of a famous location. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, this was my song of the week. Actually, um, I, I liked the. Um, I just really liked the part where it just slowed down and he would just like sing nicely with the piano. It was a really nice counterpoint to the rest of the song in my opinion um and then like the rest of the song just had kind of like this almost like gothic dance party kind of (laughs) kind of vibe to it so um i i I like this one Uh, this was my favorite i was hoping that um i wouldn't choose you know closer or hurt because those were the two songs i knew going in so i'm kind of glad that i i glommed onto something a little bit uh different and and oddly enough like that the drumming on the intro reminded me of like old like the old Foo Fighters releases probably back when Dave Grohl was recording his own drums because just like you know Trent Reznor Foo Fighters started out as just Dave Grohl playing all the instruments and doing like a solo record and it just ended up becoming popular enough that he recruited a band and and it became a thing um but yeah um why don't we give it a listen and then we'll uh come back to you and you could uh, give us your, your thoughts on this song. But uh, yeah, me and Nick, I think are in agreement here um, for song of the week. Uh, this one is March of the pigs. So you had mentioned the intro sounding like Foo Fighters. I heard something completely different. The intro to me sounded like Rise and Fall by Halloween. Now, I'm not saying it's an exact copy, but just the pacing of it and like the way that it kind of comes out of the gate, that is 
how it starts for me. But then, of course, the song sounds anything like but that. But to Nick's point, I can definitely hear a bit of the power metal drums behind this entire track. Um, this was actually one of the songs I knew going into this week. So I must have heard this at some point. The keys make such a nice difference. And I got to be honest, it plays very nicely with the riff. It's, I would say that it's more upbeat than anything that's come before it. And, and even the song structure, although it's odd, um, I, I like it. And then that piano piece at the end of the chorus is like just quirky enough that it gives you kind of something to kind of drag, you know, kind of sink your teeth into. I, I, it was not my song of the week, but it was definitely in contention. And for maybe the first or second listen, I probably was this close to choosing it. So for all intents and purposes, I think the three of us are in agreement about this track. And, and it leads into Closer, which is probably the most famous track on this album, I would say. This song got a ton of radio play. And every time it was on the radio, I made sure to turn that radio off because I never liked the song at all. Um, and, and I never paid a attention to the lyrics, but in retrospect, I guess they obviously had to bleep this all out when it was on the radio, because you can't be talking about doing anything like that, like an animal on, on, on pop, you know, top 40 radio. The production is very good. I like how both channels are used. And I think the keys and the percussion together make for a really nice sound. It's just not for me. It's repetitive. It's kind of long. And, and my opinion on this track has not changed at all in 30 years. I I like the second half of the song more than the first half. I think it's a little bit like, and I get that that's kind of the whole artistic point of the song is that it starts out, um, you know, like very, like very mellow. It's just this... Um, this this drum sound and 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 then as the song just it just picks up more and more steam and it just gets heavier and heavier and heavier and I really like the end of the song um, better than the the beginning of it and I found myself actually like really kind of bobbing my head towards the end of the song but it is a really like weird um, like atmospheric at times creepy like uh, I, I I had mentioned the um, I had mentioned the music video earlier and um, th this is off of uh, Wikipedia. The music video for Closer was directed by Mark Romanek and received frequent rotation on MTV, though the network heavily censored the original version, which they perceived to be too graphic. The video shows events in a laboratory dealing with religion, sexuality, animal cruelty, politics, and terror. Controversial imagery included a nude bald woman with a crucifix mask a monkey tied to a cross, a pig's head spinning on a machine, a diagram of a vulva, Reznor wearing an S&M mask while swinging in shackles, and of him wearing a ball gag. Uh, so, interesting. The interestingly enough, the video has since been made part of the permanent collection of the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. So, wow. I, I and I remember at the time watching and thinking to myself, like, this is really. Um, just unlike anything I've ever seen before, and I was quite the the uh, the, the student of the the music video uh, genre, and this was like a really, really just totally different experience, and and it just gets like, and just the way that the song does, the video, the imagery starts flashing and changing on the screen faster and faster as the song moves on. It, it, the video was done so, in such. Um, concert with the the audio it's really well done and, and worth checking out and I, I think you can 
probably see most of the uncensored version on on YouTube. Um, I don't think YouTube allows for any sort of nudity, but um, maybe since it's in a museum, it's considered Art. artistic nudity, and, and so it doesn't count. But um, it's an interesting song. Um, it it, uh, it features a heavily modified bass drum sample from the Iggy Pop song Nightclubbing, which came from his album The Idiot. Uh, that comes from... Uh, Wikipedia and lyrically it is a meditation on self-hatred and obsession but to Reznor's dismay the song was widely misinterpreted as a lust anthem due to its chorus uh, which I guess is pretty understandable considering um, so yeah but it, this was without a doubt the the, the most uh, successful song on the uh, on the album it um, it actually uh, it charted uh let's see here um it was it charted it hit uh 41 on the u.s billboard hot 100 and um hit number 11 for u.s alternative airplay um and actually peaked at number three in australia uh so i guess uh we'll have to ask richard if australians are big on nine inch nails but um (laughs) it it, uh yeah it did quite well and and like i mentioned before I, i very much remember it being played on the the radio, although I just don't I don't remember any other songs from this album being uh, on the radio. Just this one. I I think that the song, at least for me, suffers from placement a bit because I mentioned how I enjoyed um, the prior track, much like you guys, and I really enjoyed the next track, Ruiner. I thought that this song had video game soundtrack written all over it. I closed my eyes and I'm like, Streets of Rage two, Sega Genesis. I can hear it, right? And like, I think as a result, I liked it more than a lot of the other tracks. And I, I, I thought the ambient nature on this was really well done. Um, what was also interesting is that a lot of times the instrumental sections of songs really pick up. But here it was the actually the opposite. It slowed down tremendously. And then you actually hear a guitar solo, which is not something that was frequently found on this disc. It has a very 70s rock vibe to it. Very, very interesting song. Um, probably runner-up for me for Song of the Week. I, I do like this one. I don't love it, but I, I definitely like and appreciate this one. Yeah, I like this one too. Um, some of the sound effects um, remind me a bit of uh, the the um, the score from the TV show Lost, uh, particularly like some of when, when the, there was like some of the more mysterious or, or spooky parts. Um, there, there would just be this kind of sound that i can't quite verbalize but um that's that's kind of what this reminded me of um but i think you pretty much um hit the nail on the head with the uh the rest of it but this was definitely in the 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 top you know portion of songs for me that i enjoyed i I really liked i thought that just had a really um just a good beat to it and it was just like some of these songs as gothic and dark as they could be they they almost have kind of like a a dance you know uh, trot almost to them like where you could actually see yourself like just kind of bouncing around at a club or whatever and this song is like one of them where it just kind of has that just kind of infectious like dance kind of beat to it even though it's not i don't think really the intended purpose well, I think that that's part of the reason why I, I, I liken it to Streets of Rage 2, because there were a lot of elements on that soundtrack from that kind of techno dancey vibe to it, and I picked that up right away. So I, I agree with you. Um, unfortunately for me, 
it doesn't really hold up, you know, going going forward with a lot of this stuff. The the next track is called The Becoming. I still don't know what to make of this thing. I, the intro sounds like chirping birds and industrial guitar sounds. And then it begins to all of a sudden sound like kids screaming. And I just can't reconcile the two. It makes no sense. Uh, kind of reminds me of an amusement park where there's just all these noises in the background. If you listen closely enough, um, I, I just... I don't know what to make of this song. It sounds like a lot of filler, to be honest with you. The the best part for sure was the acoustic guitar bridge um, towards the end of the song. But short of that, this is just like a weird track that kind of has no flow and no no juice behind it. Yeah, it, it almost feels like um, somebody just sat down and like put a bunch of sound effects together and, and what have you. Um, the sample of Screams is from the film robot jocks when a giant robot falls on a crowd of spectators. So that's, that's, you know, it happens. It happens. A, yeah. It's, <laughs> it happens far too often as I, <laughs> as I'm, as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah. I, I didn't really think too much of, of this song. It, there's that the problem with this album for me in, is that there's a lot of this kind of stuff where like, it just kind of is there. Like it's not offensive in any sort of way, but it also like doesn't really do much for me either. So it's just, kind of there like that's just kind of how i feel about it. this is a, like a meaty album it, it, it clocks in at 65 minutes um which for like uh you know what would be lumped into the alt you know era uh is quite long it's probably almost twice as long as like your typical green day album or um like offspring smash which we, we talked about um so yeah, it, it feels like, I don't know, I I feel like I might have enjoyed it more if they took some of the better parts and, and whittled it down to like a 40-minute, you know, procession. Um, I, I, I agree. I feel like if you took the best parts and just made it 40 or 45 minutes, it would be much tighter and, and digestible, but it just kind of goes on. Um, you know, for example, the next track, I Do Not Want This. Very similar vein to the rest, but what's I guess the one thing that kind of makes it stand out is that there's like the heavy use of the piano, which is a good thing. And and to that, it gave me like a stupid dream vibe, which for those that don't know is like this, I think 1997 release from Porcupine Tree where they were just heavy on the piano at that time. Uh, that's a good thing. The problem is, again, it feels like it's going to lead to this big build and it never quite uh, gets there until like I guess about a minute in with this riff, but then it quiets down again and it never, I don't know. It, it's very like something that I guess would say is not sustained. It's just like kind of all over the place. And although I like dichotomy, it was a bit jarring on this track. Uh, and, and I think the spoken word parts also took me out of it as well. Not my favorite track and not, not, not terrible. There are certainly worse on here, but I, I didn't particularly love this one. Yeah. It, again, it's like the last track. It was just kind of uh just kind of there for me, really. Um, I thought like some of the parts of the song got a bit heavier. Um, there were like guitar parts that reminded me a bit of of Romstein, who you mentioned earlier, and um, I'd be surprised if Romstein didn't pull some uh, inspiration from this band. Presumably, I don't. I, we'd have to. Um, defer to Romstein expert Keith on this, but uh, I presume Nine Inch Nails predates the beginning of Romstein. I mean, at least in po- in terms of popularity, uh, no doubt. Romstein would 
I think kind of became bigger in the late nineties. Um, but, uh, yeah, this song again, is just, uh, it just was kind of meh for me. Um, any, any better luck with big man with a gun, because this is a really short kind of upbeat song. I feel like there's some hope for you on this one. Am I right? Oh, definitely. And I definitely liked it better than the previous two tracks for sure. Um, it just has a little bit more juice to it. Um, I think it also stays pretty consistent in its, um, tempo and, um, volume, which is not always the case, uh, with this songs on this album, but this is a pretty, pretty decent song. I, I kind of, uh, like this. Um, it, there's, um, there's some like orgasm sounds in this that, um, according to the booklet, uh, the sample is titled Steakhouse and is credited to Tommy Lee. Huh. So, bet you didn't think we were going to talk about Motley Crue. Uh, no, I thought there'd be a much better <laughs> chance of talking about Motley Crue next week, but I guess it's never too early for a, for a Tommy Lee reference. This, this song I thought had some really cool keyboards. I thought it played very nicely with the low end sound on the, on this track. I don't love Trent's vocals. I think he does better on other tracks, but I also think it fit the music well, so I can't criticize too much. I actually like this one a lot. I just thought it was too repetitive, and the whole shoot, shoot, shoot thing is kind of in poor taste, um, especially nowadays. But again, I just uh, uh, one of the better tracks, but not as good as Dead Souls, the next track. This this is actually going to be my song of the week. So before I get into Dead Souls, let's give it a listen, and then I'll kind of come back and explain why I chose this one um, as my song of the week. So I love the bass line on this. I think the riffs are fantastic and the drums almost give off like a tribal sound, which is kind of cool. Uh, almost had like an armored saint vibe for, 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 for my, for my money. The vocals fit the music exceptionally nicely. And the build reminds me of anathema, the way that their songs kind of develop over time. This was a really enjoyable track. I liked the pacing. That's why I chose it. I had no idea that it was not only not on the original album, but also not an original Nine Inch Nails song. And so obviously this kind of speaks to my my love or distaste for the album because I picked a bonus track from a movie soundtrack from a from another band. But nonetheless, I thought this particular version was fantastic. Yeah, I like this was one of my favorite songs uh on that we listened to. Um it was from the the Crow soundtrack which uh it was you know speaking of of you know darkness like that that movie has um just so much uh unfortunate 
negativity wrapped around it because of the, you know, the, the star Brandon Lee dying on the set, uh, due to a, a, a failed prop gun, I, I think it was, or some sort of failed prop, I think that is an accident. Um, but yeah, it's like weird because the songs that I've heard Nine Inch Nails do that are like songs from soundtracks or like, I don't know if it's because they can kind of just focus on one song. Um, but I, this was, I think, one of the best songs we that that was we listened to. And it was um, it was on the Japanese pressings of the album, um, in, you know, in between uh in between big man with a gun and a warm place. Um, and so I think that was the version that we, uh, listened to, but, uh, it, it definitely feels like it would fit right in on this album for sure. But, um, it, it's, it just feels a little bit more focused. I really like the, 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 the guitar kind of that, like really distorted, like guitar sound is really kind of cool. Um, this is a, this is a good track. I'm glad you chose it. Cause I, I probably was my, second favorite song that uh was on this this album or even tied with uh march of the pigs for me but um yeah sounds like we're in agreement with a lot of this to be honest with you which doesn't always happen but um i think here we're in lockstep um you mentioned the next track a warm place this one again almost like an intro track in many ways a bit long but kind of beautiful uh very atmospheric and i kind of dig it for what it is not my favorite by any means, but it, it has like a really warm feel to it, which I kind of like. Uh, yeah, I'm in agreement with you there. I don't really have much more to add. It's just kind of funny where like songs that are like sound like they're segue songs are like really kind of drawn out. And this is this being one of them because this is like a, a three plus minute segue song in, in a lot of in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, no doubt. No doubt. And so um, we get to Eraser which is a kind of a weird tune. It, it, the drums really drive this mid-paced track. And you, for a while, you think it's going to be an instrumental tune. It comes in, oh gosh, I, I guess the song's probably about f- almost five minutes long, but then around three and a half minutes in, it just kind of takes this weird about-face turn and it has a very strong grunge vibe that was very reminiscent of Nirvana at the time. Uh, like Nirvana meets industrial sounds. This one did not click for me at all. I, I can appreciate Nirvana. I have no issue with that band, but this track just not really, it didn't really feel this one. Yeah. It reminded me a bit of like one of the, um, one of the segue tracks from Pearl Jam's Vitology album, which oddly enough, uh, came out later that year. Um, it might, I can't remember if it was Pry 2, which was like the, the minute track um, that uh, came before Corduroy. Uh, there, there was a lot of like weird, um, like almost experimental and like um, artsy kind of stuff going on uh, on um, on this on Pearl Jam's Vitology album. I think people kind of tend to remember the more. Um, the, you know the the better mans and the the the, the, hits, the, the great songs hits, that were if you will yeah the more traditional Pearl Jam songs but the, I feel like they really kind of channeled a little bit of their inner Nine Inch Nails on that album even I remember the the uh, liner notes kind of had like a like reminded me of that closer video where there was like diagrams of of like anatomy and stuff like that it was really kind of interesting so that's kind of where my head was at. Uh, when I heard this song, but um, 
it also felt like a really long, another really long segue type song. Oh, and, and, and we'll get to more as we, as we kind of get to the back end of this album. Did you have any thoughts on Reptile? Um, the way this album ends is a little bit weird. There's two tracks well over six minutes and sandwiched in between them for my money is just another like long intro track, which like you mentioned, and that's the title track. But before we get there, any thoughts on Reptile? Yeah, this was pretty good. I like the, um, the vocals are good. Like it has kind of a, it, it again, it's like a kind of a dark has that kind of dark kind of vibe to it. But, um, I, for whatever reason, I this song I kind of enjoyed a bit more than most of the other songs. Um, I'm having a, a it, hard time putting it into words. Maybe you you can help me out here. It's it's a bit middle of the road. It reminds me of what Tool was doing before the album that we covered, Anima. It was it was kind of like an early Tool sound, just not as good. Um, and and if you're a fan of this track, I definitely recommend that you check out those first two like Tool releases because I think it's much. It's very similar and kind of in that in that vein. Um, part of me thinks I had heard this track before, but I can't say for certain. But I like it. it, it the drums almost have an electronic vibe to them, almost like they were using fake drums on the track, like the you know the um, electronic drums. Um, I, I, hard to put into words for sure. I liked it. I'd say probably more than about half the songs on the album, but it, it certainly wasn't a favorite. It, as I mentioned, it leads into the title track, which again is just this four minutes essentially of ambient noise, and, and it just kind of serves as a prelude to Hurt, which is the other quote unquote big track on the album, another highly ambient tune. But in retrospect, I remember hearing Hurt on the radio. I don't know how the hell this song made it on the radio because this song, it, it, there's like no structure to it. it. It just lacks the typical structure that I kind of outlined earlier. This song has also been a miss for me, so I'm I'm just not a fan of most of these radio hits. Ironically, yeah, um, downward spiral kind of has a reprise from the piano part at the end of closer uh, that you kind of hear. It's it's a bit subtle and kind of in the background of kind of some of the more just like again, it's like this dissonant kind of just um, you know uh, industrial kind of electronic, you know, whatever. Um, and again, leading into Hurt. And like I'd mentioned earlier, like I was more familiar with the Johnny Cash cover, um, which I, I think I actually prefer. But um, I do like the, the Nine Inch Nails version too. Again, like the use of like the uh, piano. I wish there was more of this kind of like dreary piano kind of stuff because even though it is a dreary song, it's arguably one of the most melodic songs on the album. At least it has some sort of melody. I don't remember ever hearing this song on the radio. And if I did, I don't know that I recognized it as a nine inch nail song, because I mean, when you compare it with closer, it's just such a completely different experience. But I think this is the closest we're going to get to a, a ballad on this uh, yeah. album. Fair, fair enough. Um, kind of a weird way to end it, though. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, and, and like I said, it's just about 20 minutes too long. But I think it's worth noting, and, and I'll kind of summarize with this. This album clearly influenced a ton of bands. I, we named Tool. We named Rammstein. 
We named, uh, obviously Nick had named Beast in Black, and there's a little bit of a Voyager influence. I have no doubt that they were a fan of this band as well. I think that the legacy of this band and the fact that nothing sounded like this at the time lends itself to really, um, you know, some of the acclaim that I think the album receives, but it's a very polarizing disc. A lot of people think it's fantastic. I am not in that camp, but the influence is undeniable. Yeah, I, I think that's really pretty well said. I can't really disagree with, with any of that. Um, it wasn't really my favorite thing in the world. But again, I didn't think there was anything that was like downright like offensive or unlistenable about it. Um, it's just some of it just felt a little bit meandering and, and um, I, I frankly just a little bit boring uh, for me in certain spots. But then there was other parts that were really quite enjoyable and you know i i, I will repeat uh, i think um you know march of the pigs closer um the the uh the, the additional track dead souls um reptile big man with a gun there, there's some good uh there's some good tunes on here i just feel like if maybe they pared it down a little bit um i mean you know that just that's for my taste i'm sure there's people that probably think we're nuts for not giving this a nine, but, um, I, you know, I, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't, I didn't hate it. Um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a, a 5.5. Um, I, I, it's just pretty much kind of middle of the road for me about, about average. Um, I didn't love it, but, uh, it certainly wasn't bad. Um, it's a four for me. There is a lot worse stuff out there. But I would say it's below average for my taste. Again, if I was basing this on influence, I think it would probably be well above a five, maybe a six and a half, uh, maybe a seven, maybe more. Uh, but for my taste, this is – I can't go much higher than, than a four on this. I just think that um, – you know, I, I just – it's a miss for me. But there's certainly other stuff out there that this – you know, given the choice, I would gravitate towards this over other stuff. But uh, – you know, it, like I said, I, I appreciate the suggestion. I never gave this band the time of day. I'm glad. I'm glad we got this. Uh, you know, this one. You know, down. We've got some other great requests coming up in the coming months. So I, I look forward to really hitting on those. If you want to make a request, consider joining our Patreon, uh, or at the very least, a like and a follow on all of our. Um, you know, all, where you hear this podcast will go a long way to helping others find the show. So thank you for that. I want to just mention a pair of news items, which I think are very interesting. Uh, a band that we've covered, uh, you know, with with um, Don't Break the Oath, that's Merciful Fate. They have re-released their hit album, Melissa, in honor of its 40th anniversary. It's a remastered version. I feel like it's an album at some point we will get to, although uh, having just done King Diamond last month, I don't think we'll get there in the near future. But uh, definitely look forward to doing some more Merciful Fate. And uh, another band has been announced for the Prague Power lineup, and that is Darkwater, who will be playing on day one of the festival. This time, I hope they play more than four songs. But that being said, I'm very eager to see this band. I think they are a phenomenal act with a bunch of great albums. And, and no matter what they play, I have no doubt I'll enjoy it. Beautiful. <laughs> what are we listening to next week? <laughs> so to that... Uh, I, I went back and forth on this one, but I actually want to do something a little bit different, uh, certainly in our wheelhouse, but something new that has just come out that I have not had the chance to listen to. So I'm going to spend some time with it this week. 
You're going to spend some time with it this week, and we're going to reconvene next week and give our uh, timely review for the new Sorcerer album, Reign of the Reaper. I've not had a chance to listen to it. I'm a big fan of Anders Engberg, their singer. Uh, had the pleasure of seeing them live and, and can only hope to see them again. But we haven't done a Dumont album in some time, so I, I thought this would be a nice one to cover. Uh, I know it was something you were probably going to listen to, though I have to suspect you have not heard it yet. So next week, Sorcerer's Reign of the Reaper uh, as we roll into November and march towards the end of the year. Sounds good. Uh, I, I'm trying to think if I've ever actually sat down and listened to an entire Sorcerer album start to finish. I know I listened to like a smattering of their songs in prep for um, when they played at Prague Power a few years back, but uh, I was planning on listening to this, so I'm glad that you um, chose it. Um, it'll kind of uh, speed up the process, uh, if you will. Yeah, and I think that um, I, I picked it thinking that even though it was a bit off the beaten path for you with, with the genre, I think that you're going to very much like this. Just having heard one of the singles and, and just knowing what I know about the band, I think you're going to like it. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, I it's we don't really cover a lot of like brand new releases as often as maybe we should. So this is a a, a good chance to do something current. Um, so yeah, cool choice. I was uh, not expecting that, but uh, looking forward to listening to it. And um, we'll see. Maybe it maybe this uh, will propel it onto my end of year uh, album list. We shall see. Well, I, uh, I, we shall see as well. I look forward to listening to it. Uh, we'll circle back, obviously, next week. Uh, join us on our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash metal exchanges. That's where the chat and the action can be found. Uh, we thank you all for listening, and we will catch up with you next week when we talk about some Swedish doom metal that was released all but a week ago. Excellent. Take care, buddy. Take care. <laughs>